everyone, and welcome to the Information Entropy Podcast, where we try and take some science, squish it into an hour-long show, hopefully making it less confusing than it was at the beginning. Join us this week as we explore some tasty toxins. You know, sometimes evolution brings forth molecules and chemicals made for the defense and uh, for the use of chemical warfare. Sometimes humans come along and go, damn, that's tasty. You can follow us on most social medias, but we may use or may not use. At InfoEntropyPod is a safe bet. And uh, I'm going to leave it as our one one call there, so I don't make a tit out of myself like I normally do. I'm Tom Jenks, joined as usual by Mitchell Gatting. How are you, mate? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Oh, just just swell. You mean, like switched on this week. You managed to remember the intro and I'm only doing one social shout. Out. I know. And it wasn't even up on my screen. I had to do that mid 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 speech. Well, what, what crazy times? What what's yeah. going on? I also enjoyed like during your beginning after your pun you like left a gap for are you planning on inserting like the applause or humor track or is it yeah, for people yeah. at home? Uh, basically, people. If people are listening to this, they're just gonna have like a please applaud now ah, insert I, in there. Yeah. Beep, beep, beep. Uh, I just I'm, stage comedy is just so ingrained in my brain that uh, yeah. even nowadays yeah. I, I I leave a pause for <laughs> audience <laughs> like an interaction like, yeah. and wait for Paul and <laughs> pause for and pause. breathe and carry and on. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, that school yep. drama, just five years of that, just ingrained into my very being. What's your at like this point? speciality when you're with your drama? Because normally you have like people have a route they go down. We like tap dancing. Is it stand up? Was it just straight? No, it's my like, favorite plays. thing to do. Was improv. I mean, uh, yeah, I so plays. <laughs> I preferred plays. Wasn't a fan of musicals because I couldn't sing, and I look like a massive fish stuck on stage when i tried to dance uh okay. so that didn't go great but uh yeah improv was a good time for me i enjoyed having that that freedom uh just to take it wherever it went and now i play D a lot so you know it worked yeah. out great for me i'm not gonna lie <laughs> um yeah never really gave that up but yes i didn't get anything useful out of it let's say well We'll see. <laughs> anyway, uh, how's things going this week, mate? Going good. Going good. Yeah. It's just, good. You know, it's a bet still around. We had a bit of sun yesterday, but, you know, got three weeks of rain. Mm, I feel that. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely gross up here. Mm-hmm. After I can imagine, I can imagine the, the flooding. Yeah, the flooding. After after the storm moved away, we had two days of just insanely good weather. It was beautiful. And then, yeah, I don't know, the world just kind of went, oh, that's enough for you. We'll see you in six months. And now it gets mm-hmm. dark at half six. And Yeah, yeah. did notice, did notice that. Like, we're recording not massively late, but it got dark when I was finishing work at half five, so... Yeah, yeah. It just the impact to motivation is absolutely crippling, uh, and it's going to get to that time of the year where we'll start like plugging um, real sunlight. I say not real sunlight. That's the advertisement <laughs> part of it. Yeah, they actually get the a pit of the sun, put it in like a Dyson sphere for you, 
you can wake up in the morning as an alarm yeah. clock to have real sun. But no, you get the the, the, the light lumi ones. lights. The lumi lights, yeah. Somebody mentioned that at work today, actually. Uh, it was one of like the easy, the gentle wake ones, which we've got, we use. Okay, I was going to say you had one, one, right? Yeah, we still we still use it. Because um, from it's you, nice I have like, recommended it to other people here. Yeah, just as a nice like bed light. It's not to, yeah. it's not harsh enough to like keep you awake, and it's like not blue light to fix that. But like getting up in the morning is a bit better than just like an alarm punching you in the head. <laughs> um, um, but during like the summer months, it, I can, I absolutely didn't get on with it because it starts lighting up, and I sleep quite light in the summer, but in the winter. I think we'll start using it. Yeah, you need it to get your brain into that gear. Yeah, like this morning, I did not get up. Did not get up at all. Yeah, like it was feel, a it was a uh, five minute sprint before being on a call at nine. <laughs> well, work from home. You can just do that in bed. Yeah, I, do you know what? I've never done that, and I don't. <laughs> I think that's the line that I will never draw. No, I don't across. think that's the line you can cross. Yeah, I don't like once you cross that line of like taking a call from bed. Um, camera off, go? of course. I'm not going to do that to other people, but like, yeah, you can tell when you're on the phone to someone fans. and they're in bed. You can tell they're lying down or they just woken up. 100. <laughs> percent Something yeah, about the voice sure. that you the, can just be like, it sounds different. There's definitely the wake up voice. 100. percent Yeah. Um, I've definitely done when I'm like, from home. I start off really well. And then I kind of lose this sense of this is a work time, this is a play time, because um, it's the same space. Okay. After yeah, yeah. a few weeks. Not the same thing. You you learn, you learn quickly to be like the way that I do it is I've got a uh, it's called a virtual desktop on Windows. Okay. So what you can do is, I don't know what the the, the hotkey for it is. Um, how do you do it now? I've just got with. a thing down at the bottom of my bar that lets me go between different desktops. Yeah, that's essentially it. You, you create like your desktop and a virtual, like a work one, and you just flip between them, or uh, different login profiles on your computer. No, oh, that's Using good. Computer, yeah, because then nothing transfers across, and it's a pain. Like I've got that on my phone, but you can have different profiles, and I've got a work profile and my profile. So when I'm on work profile, like you know, I can't just sit. Doom scrolling on TikTok, that kind of thing. Oh, that's clever. Oh, I feel like I really should, yeah, employ this strategy. Okay. Yeah, I'll look at it. I'll look into it. Cool. Uh, what have you been looking into then this week, news-wise? News-wise? Oh, mate. Came across uh, LIGO. Oh. Yeah. You may ask, what's LIGO? Oh, uh, I I know what LIGO is, but yeah, what's LIGO? <laughs> LIGO D's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I told you this joke before, but there's some spe- there's some special news about LIGO, uh, and it's about quantum squeezing. Oh, uh, so they are putting the squeeze on light, and that is, improves uh, gravitational wave observations. Uh, right, so an yes. upgrade to uh, the observatory LIGO. It comes from exploiting a quantum rule known as Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. It makes it easy to spot space-time ripples that arise from some of the cosmos' most violent events, such as uh, gravitational waves from like uh, black holes or like 
stars burning up, things like that that cause massive ripples across the whole of the galaxy. It picks it up on it. Um, so as a result of this upgrade and the quantum squeezing, uh, LIGO should be able to detect up to 65% more collisions between massive objects like black holes and neutron, neutron stars, neutron stars, neutron stars, uh, than it would without the upgrade. Oh, wow. So that's, that's the upgrade. So to look for gravitational wa waves, LIGO researchers rely on laser lights that move uh, in a detector beneath mirrors placed four kilometers apart, really far apart. Um, but the light is subject to a version of the Heisenberg's uncertainty principle that ensures the more you know about the intensity of the light signal, the less you know about its frequency. That limits how well researchers can spot gravitational waves. So in 2019, the scientists turned to quantum squeezing which in effect reduces uncertainty in the laser's frequency and increase the uncertainty in its intensity that allowed the researchers to turn up the laser's power and improve the ability to spot waves of higher frequencies. But turning up the power, uh, turning the power up further would have made measuring lower frequencies harder by adding a low frequency rumble to the signal. The solution described in a new study, which they've actually put out, was you is to use quantum squeezing to reduce the uncertainty in the laser's intensity at low frequencies while reducing the frequency uncertainty in high frequency measurements so like a yeah that's pretty cool you have to do both yeah 65 a, a large increase that's a very large increase and considering like it works at both ends of the spectrum normally it's a trade-off that's great mm. mm -hmm. yeah um quantum you know what squeezing. happens do you know what happens if a laser hits your high frequency? High frequency? Yeah. Does it bounce off? Nah, it hurts. Oh! Uh. <laughs> oh. Nice. That's funny. Nice. Well done. I feel like I could well insert a laugh what? track there. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well done. Well done. Well done, you. Thank you. Thank you. Well done, you. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. <sighs> So if any of you still left behind uh, <laughs> after, after the LIGO nuts and the terrible pun of hurts. Yeah. Um, um so talk, toxic foods. Uh toxic foods, yeah. Toxic foods, toxic facts. This week's episode. Yeah, we we've come across this kind of topic casually uh, a few times now. Um yeah. and we thought it was about high time we actually dove into the topic uh, a high bit deeper. Time. High Not time. low time. High time. No. The the tide is high and I'm holding on. <laughs> yeah. Um for some reason in my head I thought that was Kylie, but I learned the other day it's not. No, it's not Kylie. Not the no. Minogue. Even no. though really funny. So uh I recently went away for for a work thing to Bristol. Uh uh four guys men. Many men and myself. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not a part of the many men. But like, there, there was five, five of us crammed <laughs> in this very like um, small elevator. The other one was broken, so we was packing in. Got on at the fifth floor, and they were all like standing around suit. I'm not wearing a suit, but they're all wearing suits because they take obviously their jobs more, more seriously than me. <laughs> apparently, their work environments are much stricter. Uh, and we're like bustling in. And there's like you know a lot of background noises from shoes, coats, bags, that kind of stuff. We all settle down. And then um, door closes, it goes ding and starts to move. Everyone like quiets up. Uh, and then just from the corner, one of the guys is listening to Kylie Minogue really loudly. 
<laughs> and then after notices that we all like can hear it goes and turns it off and i was like two, two from like hey that's hilarious that he's like the slow reach to the ear to pause it on like the touch thing for the earpods yeah but then, like, the second point is, like, it's sad there's, like, this toxic masculinity around that. I mean, like, we're going to judge him for listening to Kylie Minogue. And I was like, you do you. It's, like, 8 o'clock in the morning and you're absolutely blasting. <laughs> it, was Kylie, it was, like, Kylie Minogue or Madonna. Like, one of the oh. two. And I was like, if that's what you need to get up in the morning, like, personally, I used to listen to drum and bass in the morning to get me awake. But then I realized yeah. that it gave me indigestion from eating cereal <laughs> at, like, Mac 10. Um, speed running breakfast. <laughs> And I'm just there like Yeah, honestly, if you need Kylie to get through the morning, you 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 blast that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh yeah, so with toxic speaking of toxic things, that was the segue. Uh toxic foods. Toxic foods. There's some facts. Yeah, I don't. Oh, weird Again. that. Weird that. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I'm toxic to this podcast. Bloody hell. Yep. Uh, first one. My fact. Uh, first one. The first one. Rhubarb leaves are toxic. Oh, so really? while the the stalks are safe to eat, the leaves contain oxalic acid and anthracone glycosides, which can cause difficulty breathing. Uh, also seizures and also kidney failures. That's not good, is it? Yeah. So is it seizures or is it like seizure? Like, do you, how do you pronounce it, Tom? Seizures? Seizures. Well, mm. leave multiple? Like plural? Yeah, plural. Yeah, yeah like I you, you stop having one of the other second. Oh. Seize I. I see. Um, well, if you have multiple fits within the same seizure, I'd say that's one seizure. But yeah. if it happens, if you eat a rhubarb leaf and then it gives you a seizure and then a week later you do it again, uh, I would class that as seizures. Or you're just dumb for eating a rhubarb leaf twice. Yeah, you weeks. are stupid, but, you know, it's kind of like, you know, taking it back to school. Barry bought 19 apples. <laughs> Why? Why did Barry buy 19 apples? <laughs> Barry bought 100 sweets. He, he loses two. What has he got? Diabetes. Barry has diabetes. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Classic uh, Barry. Almonds can be toxic. This this one I knew. Uh, bitter almonds contain uh, a magdalene, which releases cyanide when metabolized, leading to cyanide poisoning. Oh. Same with I think cherry pips. Or oh, I'll move on to this because I've got I've got a section that's all to do with like this kind of like pits of different um, fruits contain a magdalene. Which, you know, again, is suicide. Not suicide. <laughs> cyanide. Cyanide. Uh, which, was, which apparently is how uh, Mr. Turing committed suicide. Killed himself. Yeah. With, with uh, cyanide. Or he was poisoned and killed by the British government for being gay. We'll never know, but, you know, I'm sure it'll come out eventually. Yeah, well, he that, didn't. It goes, it, like, for me, is like the... One of the things I'll never forget. There's a lot of things that I'll never forgive the British government for, but for chemically castrating and essentially bullying someone to the point where they commit suicide, the person that single-handedly, I say single-handedly, there was a lot of hands in it, but saved millions of lives by creating the Turing machine, 
during World War Two, never forgive them for it. Yeah. Comes a lot because because of, of you know cybersecurity, you cover that uh, like the Turing device and all that kind of stuff, um, and how because it, it was like the first major encryption uh, machine that also decrypted. So you learn a lot about encryption decryption from it. Um, uh. You also do the history of it. They try and wash whitewash that quick quickly over it and be like, oh yeah, he's uh, he died. Uh, moving on, uh, but yeah, there was the. If you haven't watched the movie, Benedict Cumberbatch, that's what happened to him. It's a great film. It's yeah, really... post, post uh, war. But yeah, they a were very, like, very sad story. No, nobody knows of this. No, you don't know each other. And, you know, we found out you're gay. So uh, back in those days, that's what happened. Disgusting. Yeah, it's awful. And it happened to many, many people. Yeah, which, so. it, which causes so much like they were just like oh yeah it's you know cutting off the penis just the final thing like like hormone imbalances yeah just other things that happen because of it and it's one of the people like you should you should chemically castrate uh pedophiles or like sex offenders and like it could cause them to get more aggressive by doing that like you, you yeah. don't know what the effect is going to be i get it 100 percent, but like they could just turn into being a murderer yeah as a, as a, a flip side to that, so. yeah Pretty gross. Pretty gross. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Thank- thankfully, we've moved on somewhat as a society. In uh, some yeah. ways. Not always, so, uh, but in some yeah, ways. Some, some, some ways. Other countries. Going backwards. All right. Now, another fact. Raw honey can contain butulium spores. So in rare cases, raw honey contain uh, boat ulium? Butulium spores? Which can cause okay. botulism. Bot- so would it be botulinum spores? Yeah. A serious illness that can lead to paralysis. Oh, that's unfortunate. So you'd be there, just enjoying your honey, and then, boom. Paralyzed. Yeah, and that's not great. Botulism. Yeah, botulism. Okay. Botulinum spores. There's also I something called, like, mad honey. Like mad cow disease, mad honey. No, have you seen this? Mad honey. No. Uh, it's um, it's a rare hallucinogen from the mountains of Nepal. Okay. So you like you have some, like two tablespoons, um, and then you get high in like fifteen minutes. Damn. And it's like, yeah, within forty minutes, you really start to get you know slapped with it. Uh, there's the whole Vice documentary on it, and there's one guy takes it when he's like sat outside, and like he just disappears for two days, I think. Into <laughs> oh wow, like a yeah, like a mad mad high coma. Yeah, is what it is. That's wild. Yeah, and I guess it's because the bees collect pollen. They must collect pollen from a hallucinogenic plant. Trying to work out what what it is. A psychoactive effect of mad honey stems not from the bees, but from what bees feed on in certain regions. A genus of flying plants called rhododendrons. We all know rhododendrons. Yeah. Uh, all species of the plant contain a group of neurotoxic compounds called granotoxins. When bees feed on the nectar and pollen of certain types of rhododendrons, the insects ingest granotoxins, which eventually make their way into the bees' honey, effectively making it mad. Oh. That's not great. Yeah, and then you get mad high on it. And then you get mad high on it. Yeah, that that 
That imagine like accidentally getting your your mad honey mixed up with your normal honey. It's like oh <laughs> toast in the morning. Oh, you sat no, there listening the to your honey. pendulum. Um, yeah. I'll eat your toast and give you some interjection and then 40 minutes later you're laid out you just yourself. Like, oh, I just have to ask. Sorry, guys, I, I took the wrong one. Mm. Oh, I'll just see you in a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, just I'll see you. Yeah, with Matt that you put on like a uh, an actual like piece of toast, I imagine it's more than what you're supposed to take on like a teaspoon. That's wild. Yeah, that's some crazy stuff. <laughs> All right. Um, so I wanted. Uh, are you done with your facts? Yeah, man. I'll, I'll, I can stop with my facts now. I wanted to give a quick background on where toxic things will come from, especially in plants. Um, so normally these are come from what's called a secondary metabolite. So they're found in various plant species and they're organic, organic compounds and you know they serve specialized functions within the plant. And while they'll cover a diverse array of chemical classes like alkaloids, terpenoids, uh, phenolics and other things, uh, unlike primarily primary metabolites, which are involved in growth and developments, uh, secondary metabolites have evolved to fulfill more specific ecological roles within the plant, so nutrient uptake, things like that. Um, but lots of them have been created, I guess, have evolved uh, to offer plants unique adaptations for their survival, especially when it comes to defense and competition and things like that. So a lot of compounds like uh, Mitch mentioned there, things that turn into cyanide when they're metabolized and the the honey that makes you high because of the the plants they take it from these substances these molecules have been grown by the plant in a way to give it an advantageous position compared to the other plants around it so one of the primary functions is defense and these compounds act as a plant's defense mechanism against predators or competitors in terms of other plants so some plants produce alkaloids like nicotine and the purpose of that is to deter herbivores while others you've got capis capsicin which is what makes chili peppers <laughs> hot what's that um i i don't know why my brain just did capsicin <laughs> i don't think i'm saying that right but uh i'm gonna have to google this now how to say cap say uh Sin. Capsaicin? Yeah. Spicy right. bits. Capsaicin. Okay. There we go. Capsaicin. All right. Um, some molecules are made with the aim of like chemical warfare between plants. Um, mint is a good example of that, but we'll come on to that later. Um, but what makes secondary metabolites quite intriguing is a lot of them humans are actually drawn to so even though these chemicals have been evolved purely for defense and say malice in the plant world us humans come along and go oh that smells good let me put some of that mint in a sauce and have it with some meat or we go oh that's super poisonous that why don't i concentrate it and give it to someone that i don't like you know um so yeah we have quite a weird relationship with, let's say, toxic chemicals. Some we're just completely, by coincidence, really attracted to. Uh, I don't know, tobacco, so nicotine in that, caffeine 
and uh, coffee plants and tea, um, mint, as I said before. So it's really weird. I, and I think, I don't know why we're attracted to some of these things. I think some things, it's just like we originally didn't evolve in the same scenario. So it didn't evolve to specifically seem horrible to us. Um, really unsure. But yeah, so the aim today is to explore some of those things. Um, where toxins come from in general and uh, yeah hopefully enlighten us all a tiny bit yeah I just yeah. I don't know it's one of those like you know you're trying to imagine that where someone first human came all weather down the line came up with like eating stuff or training stuff or finding stuff like milk yeah that that's people are like yeah, but how did they know milk okay like you see its child, the cut, like its offspring drinking something from its udders. That, yeah. That grasshopper is like, oh, the first man, like, must have been like trying to suck a pin. No, no. Just look at the <laughs> look at the baby. Look at the calf. What's, what's the calf doing? Drinking it. Uh, and I don't think it's that much of a stretch to yeah, make a not. comparison between the human and the an animal body. Like, there's, oh, there's, there's that as human well. Yeah, like feed on milk. <laughs> so Neolithic man was like never seen breastfeeding before good yeah. one absolute good one so uh, but like yeah. the, i get what i do is like the spicy food stuff like yes. what the first caveman was like came across like a jalapeno obviously not a jalapeno at the time but like, <laughs> like was walking through the forest reaper. and came across like a pickled jalapeno in a jar i was like damn this is good no yeah well with the carrot no would they have been that hot back then? I doubt they would have been that hot. A human uh, we engineering. We have concentrated it 100%. Yeah, like but maybe in it, a bad year, because that's what makes them hot, isn't it? You absolutely abuse the heck out of them. Dry. yeah. Yeah, and they, like, after a hard year... Um, but they would have been like hot anyway, wouldn't they? crunched on pepper for the first time and went, ah, oh, that sucks. But actually, maybe I kind of like it. Yeah, maybe I'll just I dry sprinkle- it out a little bit, grind it up, yeah. and then put it on my meat. What if I put less... <laughs> What if I put more on spread out over a larger area? This would be great. Yeah, um, uh, because like the design of it is like birds to eat it, isn't it? Like yeah, whole. Eventually, it eats it whole. It then messes with their stomach, causes the sea to be you know shat over the forest, and then potentially yeah. uh, grows. Uh, but not the same for humans. What well, could be the same for humans if you look at it in one way? Uh, but there's like. Five potential reasons why for the spicy food. Okay. So first is obviously the, the sensory experience. Yeah. Uh, it the what do we say? Capsaicin. Capsaicin. Uh, activates receptors in the mouth. You know, tells our tongue that the heat is going on, and there's a physical abrasion there. It actually, like makes things stand out on edge in our time oh, okay. to be like yeah, this is pain uh, it actually triggers a pain signal to the brain to interpret it as burning so same feeling as you're being burnt but it inter- it's an interpretation you're not actually burning your mouth it's just the feeling of um, yeah it just triggers the heat receptors which when you're eating a jalapeno if someone's telling you that you're probably going to end up in physical violence being like actually it's, you know, your mouth isn't actually burning uh, it just <laughs> feels like it is I think they'll they'll start swinging at you um, yeah. which might it's not sound pleasurable like, when, uh, if you ever got like a cut and then you put like an alcohol wipe on it to, to clean it um, yeah. 
it feels yeah. like it's burning. And, and again, it's because the your heat receptors have been exposed, which react with alcohol and then tell your brain, ah, oh, I'm on fire. Help. <laughs> yeah. Um, but with the spicy foods, it also can release endorphins, which we love. It can. As humans. We do. Uh, which are, can be potentially painkillers, which can help, and also mood enhancers. So there's that trade-off. that You could be feeling like, yeah, a little bit burning, but, you know, feels good at the same time. We're all happy. It's mood enhancer. What um, I find wild about all of the ones that I researched and looked at, there's always like, oh, yeah, this is a poison that the plant produced to defend itself. But humans may potentially find health benefits from this like you know endorphin production yeah i just i just don't get it why have we done this to ourselves everything we can go along and go yeah but if i take this in moderation that's a health benefit that yes it's it's wild yeah uh yeah uh you've then got uh tolerance and desensitization which you know you can build Mm. up over a long time and some people have jalapenos or my favorite, someone. My, my favorite insight. Did I tell you last week that my favorite said my favorite insult at the moment? No. You look like someone that would water down mayonnaise. Oh wow, <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> to be yeah. like, oh no. Um, but like people finding uh, ketchup spicy. But no, surely not. Yeah, there are some people that find ketchup spicy, and that always tickles me because I'm like. Is your diet that absent on flavors that you <laughs> are your diet finding? That beige? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that you're finding ketchup spicy. Yeah, there, there are weird spicy things like um, or peppery is one that I've come across. Uh, minstrels by Galaxy right. have a certain pepper pepperiness to them if you eat too many at once. Okay, uh, yeah. weird, weird, weird thing here. Um, but yeah, desensitization over time. So that's just a case of your receptors in your mouth. You desensitize them on how they respond to uh, the capsaicin. Um, so it reduces that burning sensation and it can actually increase your enjoyment of the food because it's a flavor enhancement. Spicy foods can also enhance the flavor profile of a dish and in complexity and depth. So when people are like, uh, you, can you actually taste the food? It's like, yeah, they can taste it, but they can also taste it better than the other people can. And the, the flavor is potentially better because it's rounder and has more depth to it. Oh, wow. Okay. So when people, people like hate on high, like go for a vindaloo, like, yeah, if, you, if you're finding ketchup spicy, don't go for a vindaloo. You're going <laughs> to risk that your in your night. Stay in your um, lane. <laughs> yeah, stay, stay in your lane. Uh, yeah. But then there's also, <laughs> the, third, the third thing is that like a lot of culture and psychological factors that go along with it because there's so many like cultures that spicy food is integral to the cuisine yeah like, especially like asian food has got so much spice like thai is just so much good stuff i unfortunately had to stop eating so much spicy food because i realized it was a poison for my body <laughs> to talk about oh, toxic no. it was very toxic for my body and causing like stomach issues so i've had to like not i don't eat spice anymore which is so sad because i absolutely love it love the stuff oh, that is sad I can't, I can't do it. Like, maybe every now and then I'll have some Tabasco if I, like, know that I've got, like, a chill day ahead. Yeah. Um, in case, like, it causes me pain. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. 
Yeah, so sad. So sad. Like going for an Indian. Can't do it anymore. Well, actually, no, I can have like a Tika. Yeah, you can have tea. Like, like, like a nice madras. Yeah. Um, there's also health benefits to spicy food if you didn't know. So on this, like, uh, toxic... I, I predicted there must have been, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know. So, like, yeah, it's toxic in one way, but there's also, as you said, health benefits. So, especially with spice and capsaicin, um, capsaicin, uh, improved metabolism. <laughs> there's a reduced risk of heart disease. There's potential to anti-cancer properties. There's a whole raft of things you can get from... Like eating spicy food, so maybe I'll do that. I'll just be like, I'm eating this. It's hot good food. for me. Just it's eating good a for me, but pepper. bad for me. Like, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be pain in the in the near future, but in the long future, reduced risk of heart disease. <laughs> yeah. It's worth it, he says, crying, <laughs> just doubled over <laughs> fetal position. Like, it's worth it. Um, I looked at. I guess what could be considered the opposite. In, in some ways, instead okay. of uh, providing a heat sensation, provides a cool one. And uh, that's mint. Right. Everyone loves mint. Does yeah. Everyone, uh, I mean, if you're basic and white, then mint chocolate chip is probably your favorite ice cream flavor. You take that back. <laughs> take that back right now. Nah, if that's your favorite flavor, mate, you're basic. No, I think vanilla is a basic flavour. And so is mint chocolate chip, it's everywhere. Nah, mint chocolate chip's good. Nah, my, my favourite is um oh, honeycomb. Yeah. No, nah, I was just gonna over the uh, it's not that it's not basic, but chocolate. Maybe not chocolate. Mate. Yeah. Have some decision making in your body. You just went, you know what's the what I like? Chocolate. You know what I probably could like the same flavour of of ice cream? Chocolate. Yeah. But I'm a man who knows what he likes. What can I say? <laughs> also, I like eating the same food for years on end. <laughs> yeah, um, Do you know what like, the so, most popular in order is? What's that? Uh, vanilla. Top to the list. Man, do you know what? Get a good Madagascan vanilla. Oh, oh it's, yeah. it's special. You know what? When people... Vanilla is underrated. When people look, people look after vanilla it. Vanilla is underrated. Because a lot of the villainous stuff they had when they were younger, especially now, is like chemically induced vanilla. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's chemically it made, is. it's not the best. Uh, so they've got like that synthetic taste, but like a good proper yeah. vanilla. I think we good. do vanilla a disservice. You know, it once was <laughs> the most expensive spice in the world. Is it a spice? Which class has a spice? Oh, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> it was like the most expensive thing you could buy. And now it's just so common. People think you're basic for yeah, liking that's it. A, that's a spice. There are dozens of us. Dozens. Oh, Arrested Development. It's on Disney Plus now. You should watch that again. 250 anyway. to 500 different flavor and fragrance components in vanilla, if oh, you don't wow. know. The most prominently is vanillin, which is 4-hydroxy-3-methoxy-benzodiazide. I which love getting you to read chemical It's a relatively, relatively straightforward <laughs> to synthesize, which is why it's synthesized so, so much and you get that, like, everyone knows the, the vanilla taste. Mm. Um, it's then chocolate, strawberry, fourth is mint chocolate chip. So you're, made, you're more basic than I am, mate. Don't come at me. Uh, then cookies and cream. Pistachio. Rocky Road. Butter, pecan, salted caramel, caramel and then cookie dough. Do you love a cookie dough? 
And salty caramel is either like is very polarizing, I find. People yeah. either really dislike it or people love it. No, I think it's a good time. I wouldn't be mad if someone gave that to me. I yeah. will stab someone for a, a jar of half baked Ben and Jerry's though. That's just a good time. Yeah. Um yeah. Oh, Shanker Man for, for some ice cream. <laughs> you don't have to convince me. That's just happening. Um, anyway, oh, Mint. Sharp, sharpening your machete. You're ready to go on a sunny day. Uh, there's just someone just waving a, a top of Ben and Jerry's in the air and pointing at someone. Um, right, so Mint. Very yeah, interesting. Mint. It produces a secondary metabolite called menthol. Yeah, um, menthol. So... Specifically, the species Mentha piperita produces the compound menthol, and it's a terpene, which is the, the type of molecule uh, family that it belongs to, and it contributes to the characteristic flavour and aroma of mint. It's also responsible for the cooling sensation associated when you eat it. And obviously, menthol is quite well known for the pleasant sen- sensory properties it provides, the uh, allelopathic properties, which I'll come on to in a second. Um, and it's produced in glandular trichomes on the mint plant. These are tiny structures found around the leaves and stems of the plant. I think they're hair-like structures. And within these trichomes, specialized cells will synthesize and store menthol. And then when the plant is damaged or disturbed, such as by herbivores or nearby plants, it can release this menthol and other volatile compounds either into the soil or just into the, the surrounding area. Some species of mint plants will just continuously excrete uh, menthol compounds. Um, so menthol is super interesting. And if you've ever thought of plant chemical warfare, or you've ever heard that phrase, mint is the prime example. Uh, I watched someone plant mint and then do a time lapse over a few weeks. And you can just see how much the mint plant decimates the plants around it. It's really quite special. Um, so when released into the environment, menthol affects nearby plants in several ways. Uh, it can stop the seeds of nearby plants germinating. Uh, it does this by affecting the water uptake of the seeds, which is essential for germination. So it can hinder their ability to absorb water. It can interfere with cell division and metabolism of nutrients in cell in seeds and can also uh, inhibit the growth of the emerging radical root, which is the first root that comes out when a, a seed germinates. Um, and it can be inhibited by menthol, so just the seedlings kind of die at that stage, really. It can stop roots forming properly, so it can stop them getting longer. It can stop them taking up nutrients. Um, it can even affect the respiration rate of plant roots, so they don't have enough energy uh, to grow and to absorb nutrients uh, like they normally would. And this is just all happening because mint's in the soil. It's mad. And obviously the mint plant has a resistance to it. Um, and allelopathic interference as well. So it's kind of, it's just very complicated. Some things we're unsure about as we always are. But menthol specifically interacts with enzymes. So if you want to know what those are, check out last week's episodes on proteins. Uh, Mitch covered enzymes uh, very well. And it also interferes with metabolic pathways. So the plants just don't get the nutrients they need. Like the things doing, taking up the nutrients just stop working. Um, And obviously by inhibiting the growth of plants around it, 
it gets more space, it gets more light, it gets more nutrients for itself. But yeah, and then humans come along and go, oh, that's tasty. <laughs> nom, nom, Let nom, me stick nom. that in my mouth. Nom nom. Let me put that in cigarettes. Um, which I think is banned now. Is that banned? In the um, UK at least? Menthol I would cigarettes. Be. I think it was banned because it made cigarettes to taste okay. <laughs> yeah, menthol cigarettes are banned in the UK. Yeah, As of 2010. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, to be honest. The, uh, me- yeah. Nah. It, menthol cigarettes were very Moorish. Yes. Uh, that's one thing I remember about early clubbing. Just everyone had menthol cigarettes because you were drunk. And uh, yeah, they didn't taste as bad. You know what isn't bad though? The the tips. So you, if you're you know doing your own rollies, ah, uh, you can buy you can buy the tips. Yeah, yeah. Um, so menthol's cooling sensation. This is actually very interesting. So combined with its refreshing flavour, uh, it makes the mint actually really appe- uh, appealing in various culinary and beverage preparations. So. Uh, we have lots of sweets, Tic Tacs spring to mind, which are huge now, by the way. Um, sorry, what? teas, mint tea, Tic Tacs. I saw a Tic Tac in the shop the other day, and they look huge compared to when I last saw them years ago. Uh, cocktails, margarita, is that the minty one? Um, uh, no, mojito. Mojito, that's it. Yeah, yeah, margarita is just gin, really, with a fancy name. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> menthol. When you eat something uh, that has mint in it, um, menthol will interact specifically with the receptors in your mouth and on your skin, um, but better in your mouth because of the the, the, the liquid and solution that they're in. Um, it interacts with receptors called TRPM8. Uh, these are the receptors that tell your body whether it's cold. They react with the cold, um, but they're instead of being activated by cold temperatures when menthol comes into contact with them it also triggers them which and they go okay i've been triggered sends a signal to your brain and then your brain perceives that as you being cold in that region so that's why when you have chewing gum or you know a mojito uh it may feel quite quite refreshing um but yeah just an illusion and of course, it has health benefits as well. Um, I think people used to use mint in uh, wound dressings and things like that way back in the day. But uh, yeah, and with chemical interference, actually, that's probably why, especially if uh, you had a wound from a plant or something. So mm. that that's mint for you. Bit minty. Wow, I, yeah, I just think it's really interesting. If you can look up a video uh, on YouTube or something about uh, mint chemical warfare, it really is an interesting video just to see how much it really does disrupt the growth of plants around it. It's mad. It just grows super quick. Just like that. Not weed. <clears throat> Not weed. Oh, I wonder if they could combat knotweed with mint. Uh, yeah. Uh, probably, probably not. Probably not. What if I asked ChatGPT who would win in a fight? <laughs> <laughs> who 
Who would win in a fight? Japanese, not weed, or mint? Um. Oh, this is this is a very long. This is a very long. Let's see. Oh, it's telling me though. It's important to clarify that plants don't engage in physical combat. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. It seems like you're referring to the hypothetical competition between two types of plant, mint, from the genus Mentha, and knotweed from the genus Polygium or Flopia. Both are known to be quite invasive under the right conditions, and their ability to outcompete each other may depend on a variety of environmental factors, such as soil quality, sunlight, water availability, and human intervention. Here's a breakdown on how they, how they might fare in competition based on various factors. Growth and speed. Mint starts vigorously through its rhizomes and can quickly take over garden spaces. Knotweed also spreads through rhizomes and can grow quickly. It is known for its ability to go through concrete and other hard surfaces. But I got a, got a match by match, like, top That's cool. For me, on. it just completely copped out. It just said, uh, in many cases, Japanese knotweed will do well. In other cases, mint will do well. Okay. So, well, yeah. Resilience to, well, to environmental stress. Mint is known to be quite hardy and can tolerate a range of soil conditions, although it is professed well draining soil. Not really is extremely resilient and can thrive in a variety of adverse conditions. Oh, they are, they're like peg for peg here. Um, okay. Well, if anyone wants to give this a go, sometimes let us know. Properties. How it goes. Uh, in a head to head competition, the outright. The outcome might largely depend on the specific environmental conditions, human interventions. Not weeds notorious resilience and ability to grow in adverse conditions might give it an edge in many scenarios. However, mint's vigorous growth and spreading ability could also make it a formidable competitor. Um, so it's it's very much like local ecology and condition based. Like I feel like Sun Tzu said, just... don't fight yeah. on the field, fight in the mountains. True. If you're a mountaineer. Yeah, precisely. You gotta pick you gotta pick, you know. Yeah. Where you're fighting. It's fair. I just feel like with the chemical warfare, you know, Mint never read the Geneva Convention. But not what he seems to have. That ain't got chemical warfare going on. Yeah. Just strangles plants, smothers them. But yes. I digress. Yeah. I digress. Um what else have you got then, mate? But it some nuts. Scott. Whoever is first in the field and awaits the coming of the enemy will be fresh for the fight. Whoever is second in the field and has to hasten to the battle will arrive exhausted. That's why when you get to the field, you want to be first. Yeah. Yeah. See, I learned this the hard way. I started playing Rome Total War. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, I, I'll just. These guys are taking ages to get to the position i want them in i'll just sprint them there they got there and just got absolutely trampled because they were too tired to defend themselves it's like ah oh, right uh, yeah, i see what i've done you there should, you need to read some some sun Tzu. i have uh, i've read the art of war have you yeah i read it oh, it you've read it but 10 years ago now comprehend it obviously i didn't internalize it enough no yeah that's you were like Skim, 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 skim. Mm, yeah. Yes. It's not a long book. It doesn't no, take long not. to read. I I think I read it when I was first getting into chess. I was like, this will be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a psych out your opponent and be like, in the in the midst of chaos, there is also yeah. opportunity. 
just like when it's when it's not your move, you just whip, whip out the art of war and just uh, <laughs> stare him down. Yeah, yeah. All warfare is based on deception. Hence, when we are able to attack, we must seem unable. When using force, we must appear inactive. When we are near, we must make them believe we are far away. When we are far away, we must make them believe we are near. There's a lot of negatives that go on in Sun Tzu's if you haven't read it. There, there, there are. And I, and I guess like a product of the time, like people just wouldn't have thought about this or it's just yeah, not, not been written down before, right? So yeah. you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And he did. And he in did. In the field. In the field. You weren't there. <laughs> yeah, but he was in the field first though. So, exactly. you know. Yeah. First to market and all that jazz. It's, it's to do with like e-commerce. You want to be the first oh, one into it. an economy because then you've got the advantage. Then anybody else has to break into that same economy that you're already in. And they'll be exhausted because they'll have to fight your way in when you just have to defend. See? It's like a speciation event. Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu. He knew all along. He knew it. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what to do. Uh, I've got invisible <laughs> threats, and I've also got some some history of use of toxic foods. Let's go for like uh, the underpinning of food toxicity and sort of like the scientific. Okay, because it's the realm fun. of food toxicology is dedicating the unraveling of the scientific intricacies of toxic foods and their impact on human health. The complexity of this field is underscored by the diverse array of toxins and the myriad of ways they can affect the human body, as we have previously talked about one prominent aspect of food toxicology is the study of foodborne illnesses such uh caused by pathogenic bacteria such as salmonella uh and e coli wait okay i just want to put this out there staying it now for a fact if you wash your chicken (laughs) i'm gonna start a fight over this we're gonna get comments but if you wash your chicken it is more unsanitary to wash your chicken than just to cook it and the reason being is if you wash your chicken, all that salmonella that's on the raw chicken, you are splashing that around yourself, your hands, your knobs, like on your tap, yeah, your faucets, everything is being covered by salmonella. If you fry your chicken, it is burning off. Or it's even frying or cooking it in the oven. It is anything that you would be, and I'm using air quotations, cleaning off the chicken, it will either be burnt seared or cooked at a temperature that would kill it anyway because you're supposed to cook it to that temperature because it's you know there's i can't for remember that the, reason yeah. the health and safety reason the n- number is for it but like no the internal restaurants, temperature yeah restaurants have to cook yeah. chicken to an internal temperature for it to be safe for human consumption that will kill anything lying in sand okay yeah. uh did you know and th- this will trigger you <laughs> right um there are some people who have their chicken medium rare Oh yeah, that's um, uh, it's, a, it's a Japanese dish that is medium rare chicken. No. Yeah. They're, yeah. Oh, I was looking. I was just like, that's gross. Okay, if it's like a Japanese thing, and people like you go to a restaurant, they're like, this is what we do for a living. I'm like, okay, I'll trust you on this one. But if I go to someone's house and they're like, how do you want your chicken? I'm like, cooked. <laughs> I want it cooked. <laughs> I don't want no medium rare skanky chicken. From some uh, random person's house. So it's called teriyashi or teriwasa. The chicken is cooked, uh, is served rare or raw, 
but it's crucial to know that the dish carries the same risk of foodborne illnesses, especially outside Japan, where it might not be prepared in the same way or unfamiliar with the necessary precautions. In Japan, there are very strict regulations and procedures to minimize the risk, including highly fresh, high-quality chicken and special preparation, me- preparation method to ensure as much safety as possible. Um, I just don't think it's worth the risk. And I'm sure that's because we've been grown up in a yeah. salmonella-conscious generation. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just just you know Google what? medium Bef- rare chicken before and just I die. Look at those images. Right, line in the sand. Before I die, I'm going to Japan to do a food holiday. Oh, and hundo! I will pay yes. a lot of money to get a tour guide just to take me around different uh, prefectures, so I can just have everything. And I will gain a stone. I'll be there for two weeks. It's gonna be it'll be glorious. Oh, you got to at least go for a month if you're going all that way. That's true. Yeah, Game two stone. Why not? Three weeks. three weeks minimum. Yeah. Yeah. But rare, yeah, rare chicken. Medium, medium rare chicken is a thing. Oh, uh, I'm looking at someone having a medium rare chicken burger, and it looks gross. <laughs> wow. Oh no. How very English of you. Very Western. I'm having like a right. Ashi. Yeah, it's literally just the outside is cooked, and the inside is just raw. It's just not right. Oof. It's not right, Michael. Yeah. Some F1 fans will get that reference. No, it's not many of them, so moving on. Uh, <laughs> there are dozens of us. <laughs> uh, these microorganisms, so the salmonella and E. coli, produce toxins that disrupt normal cellular function and often lead to gastrointestinal symptoms like diarrhea and vomiting. Uh, another focus of food toxicology is the investigation of the natural toxins produced by plants and animals as defensive mechanisms that we previously talked about when they fight each other. Uh, in a fisticuffs, mint war, chemical you, warfare, ca- yeah, plant warfare, plant warfare, yeah, um, plant warfare. For instance, the alkaloids found in some species of mushrooms can disrupt neurotransmitter functions, leading to symptoms like hallucinations and seizures. Magic mushrooms. There we go. Uh, moreover, yeah. toxicologists employ advanced analytical techniques to detect and quantify toxins in food, uh, facilitating risk assessments and regulatory compliance. These scientific endeavors are crucial to ensuring food safety and protecting public health as they provide valuable insights into the intricate web of interactions between food toxins and the human body. But they're perfectly fine for medium red chicken. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's something about putting the food toxicology that's yeah. interesting I, I was looking at um one thing you want to be over there was like do- dosage i suppose um so i was well one of the things i looked at was caffeine i don't i don't have time to, to look at it now but what i did come across was a study in 2015 where they were studying the effects of caffeine and their aim was to give their subjects 0.3 grams of caffeine um, and just see, see what the effects were. So for reference, in a normal or average cup of coffee, there's about 40 milligrams. Um, so that's 0.04, right? So they were giving subjects almost nearly uh, 10 times more than uh, they would normally have. Mm. What they actually did, through a miscalculation, was give them 30 grams of caffeine in one dose. So that's 100 times more than they intended, 
Yeah. And nearly a thousand times more than you would <laughs> normally get from a cup of coffee. Bearing in mind, people have died ingesting 18 grams of coffee in a single dose. Mm-hmm. Um, so needless to say, they were they were taken to hospital and they, they were fighting for, for their lives a bit there. Um, they were fine, it turns out, which is good. And they were, I think the university was fined 400,000 uh, pounds. It's the University of Northumbria for anyone who's there. And uh, yeah, so as much as there are health benefits, if your coffee makes you shake, maybe tone it down a little bit. Um, but yeah, dosage, it's an important one when it comes to these toxins, <laughs> as tasty as they might be, uh, they still are toxins to some degree, but yeah, fun stuff, fun stuff. All right. We've got a few couple of minutes. Is there, is there anything you want to wedge in or do we actually finish a show on time for once? I, you know what? Uh, good. We could finish. This, we could finish on time. Or oh, we talk about like vinegar. Oh, I always find it's quite funny. We have chips. The big, big thing in the UK, uh, like chippy chips, and we put salt and vinegar on them. I mean, like, mm. Mm, this is delicious. Both of those things are poisonous. <laughs> like we talk about chips. This. Both of those things in large, like it's always in large amounts, but like yes. it's, it's one of those things where we're like, mm, yes, the stuff that is in salt water that means that we can't drink it. Let's put this on some potatoes, and then we'll mm. fry the potatoes. Yeah, it really is a flavor enhancer, though. I get our body has to work really hard to filter it out. <laughs> yeah, mm, yeah, it makes things taste so good. <laughs> indeed, indeed. All right, here's the question. Okay, what's your, what's your opinion on like putting salt and pepper on food before you've tasted it? Like, what do you mean? Do you, you do you salt and pepper your food? Yeah, post post cooking. Yeah, not like in the, oh, in the middle, like post cooking. Like, if you sat down at a meal with a table and you were like, you know what, this needs some pepper and salt. What do you make of the people that? This is kind of like rage baiting people here <laughs> to realize yeah. that put. Uh, like salt and pepper before they've tasted it. The only thing I'll do it on, and I have a set list, not that I write it down, but in my head. Uh, Swede always needs more okay. pepper. Yeah. Because peppery Swede's the best. Uh, and I realize that people don't salt eggs. We don't, we'll... People don't salt eggs, no. Uh, so I, I, um, I will like put salt on eggs. Lots of people don't salt their rice water. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Which. Uh, I've introduced to a lot of people since moving up here and uh, they now do that at least when I'm around <laughs> do you also put white vitamin vinegar on it uh, post oh I don't know oh, it's a big thing big thing makes it I've quite, heard I have together. heard yeah um, but no I, I I'm such a big salter as I cook yeah we play video I, games I together taste... I know that you're salty <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's fair um, <laughs> and, and so I as I cook, I'm, I'm tasting it a lot anyway for, for salt and pepper. Um, but no, I think I'll normally... I, I love pepper. And oh, big fan, big fan, I yeah. normally salt way more than everyone else around me. Um, I think Italy had that influence on me. 
Yeah, they're like pinch of salt, and you're one of like one of those TV cooks who's like, oh yeah, pinch of salt. Yeah, a handful and throws a handful in. <laughs> Just puts a bucket <laughs> of salt literal on. grabs yeah. it with all fingers. So I, I'm at restaurants. I don't put salt on without tasting. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll just give it a quick taste first. Why not? I think What's at restaurants, I'm more don't like, taste it. it depends. If it's like a gastro pub, top pub, fine. If it's like a fa- a nicer restaurant, I won't because I'll be like, this is how the chef intended this meal to be. Yeah. If it's bad yeah. about and salt pepper, it means, you know, they had bad vision. <laughs> uh, that's wrong. You could always add more pepper to things though. I don't think that's a bad... Yeah. I don't think that's a crime. But uh, yeah, I think it's good etiquette to uh, oh. try before you sold. Funny food story. Uh, yeah. Was taken out as part of work by uh, another company. Not our company, another company. Uh, we kind of like joined, there's a few of us joined last minute. And we were like, okay, we'll be, we'll, we'll be polite. We, you know, there's their bill. We've been invited out. We'll get like a steak uh, and like one cocktail, maybe another drink. But what our end... <laughs> But the other end was just like, ah, <laughs> we've been taken out. I'll have the lobster and six mm. cocktails. And I was like, <laughs> bloody hell. Right, fair, fair. I've come into this, obviously, with the wrong mentality. <laughs> yeah, you're you're there to offset it. Yeah, yeah. I was being pleasant, went, oh, that pleasant wasn't as bad the as we end. thought. Yeah, yeah. absolutely brilliant. And afterwards, we found out like it was like one of the three times that individual had ever been drunk in their life like not a drinker at all uh and i was like yeah probably would yeah the six cocktails probably would have done it uh but one yeah, of them will do it it's a passion fruit martini good time yeah delightful absolutely stunning really uh, good. i do love passion fruit flavored things when i was in tanzania oh, Tanzania, back in 2010 bloody hell um they had fanta passion out there I've never found it since, and I've never been as happy as drinking that drink. Passionate. What a good time! Nice, yeah, yeah um, just a great time. The Fanta and, and the country, both yeah. both beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> making your way through Tanzania. Tanzania, yeah. All right, cool. Well, uh, I guess we'll we'll bring it to a wrap there then. Don't forget to share this with everyone uh, that is available to share it be shared with. That was English, just. Just about. Um, just, just about. Yeah, yeah. If, if you want more information, fun sides, you can follow us on uh, the website formerly known as Twitter, but still twitter.com and TikTok at InfoEntropyPod. Instagram, Information Entropy Pod. We've got some nice pictures going on up there, so come check them out. Yeah. And of course, whichever directory you're listening to this on right now. If you give us a like, a rating, a follow, a share, even if you just go share, copy link, don't do anything with it, the platform thinks you have. Um, so, yeah, anything else you'd like to shout out, mate? Uh, in the countries that listen to the podcast, don't do your chicken medium rare. I don't think we actually have any listens from Japan looking at our breakdown. So, everybody else, don't do it. Don't do it. Salmonella will be Keep- coming your way. Yes, just, you know, eat like a normal person. Normal, wow, okay. Yeah, non-medium-rare chicken people. It's just not needed. Not Isn't there a fat boy slim that goes like that? I don't know. Long-haired, freaky people. You're not a but instead of it's the normal <laughs> chicken 
Bigger than me, people. <laughs> right. We'll just end it there before this goes into a weird route. This is the Ramley bit that's like people have you Peace. did you watch it first viewers day off? Where he comes comes no. back in and goes Go to bed, go away. And he comes back in in his dressing yeah. gown. It's like, we're done here, go. This is that bit. It's for the people that stay on at the end. They just listen to us ramble. Okay, yeah. I'll just slowly fade this out and put a laugh track over it. Yeah, do it. Okay. Peace. Ciao, <laughs>